0: This is Writers Not Writing, the show where you can get to know your favorite writers and soon-to-be favorite writers by listening to them confess to the ways they procrastinate. Thanks for procrastinating with us. I'm Benjamin Gorman, and the quiet guy behind the glass there is Doug the producer. I write novels and collections of poetry and stuff. Doug tries his best to make me sound better. And each week we have a secret word to listen for. If you catch it, you earn the right to take an extra break at the time of your choosing from whatever is stressing you out. From Not-A-Pipe Publishing... Welcome to Writers Not Writing.
1: Today's secret phrase is garbage patch. Perfect.
0: Welcome, everyone. Today's guest is Serena Ulibari. Serena Ulibari is the author of Another Life, a science fiction novella out next week from Stelliform Press, and Steel Tree, a science fiction retelling of The Nutcracker, forthcoming in winter 2023 from Android Press. Her short fiction has appeared in magazines such as Dreamforge, Lightspeed, and Solarpunk Magazine, as well as anthologies such as Solar Flare and Biketopia. As an anthologist, she curated several international volumes of optimistic climate fiction, including Glass and Gardens, Solarpunk Summers, and Multi-Species Cities, Solarpunk Urban Futures. She also serves as a story reviewer for Grist's annual contest, Imagine 2020, Climate Fiction for Future Ancestors. So welcome to our show, not about how we write, but how we procrastinate, what we're doing when we are not getting our work done. Um, the, the first thing we always have to do is explain to folks th- about the costumes we're wearing, because of course, the folks who are watching on YouTube can see that we're all decked out. We always wear these, you know, costumes for the show. Uh, but uh, for the folks on the podcast, what did you choose to wear for the show today?
1: Uh, so since I work in climate fiction, I thought I would go with a jellyfish, which was kind of a fun thing to construct. So you can see I have, uh, it's actually an umbrella that I put a bunch of like blue paper mache over. And uh, and then the tentacles were the hardest part to get them to kind of, you know, curl a little bit. I I learned the hard way that like a curling iron and crepe paper do not mix. So after the third time with that, I found a different way to kind of get them to crunch up the way that they are. Is it like
0: wire in, in crepe paper or how did you end up doing? They look amazing. How did you end up getting them to finally work?
1: Um, you know, a little little light blue, and then just kind of crunch it up and, yeah. and let it go, and it just does it perfectly. So, well, and, and of course, the LED lights kind of yes. circle around it. You know, adds the the translucent touch or the the bioluminescent touch. Yes. Oh, that looks
0: so cool! Well, you did a lot more work than I did. I went with the store bought. I have been feeling anxious about my 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 very thin arms, and so I had shrimp on the brain. And so I, went, <laughs> you know, I saw that you were going to go all out with the uh, the 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 your, your costume and went okay i'm gonna go for a shrimp costume so i just went the store bought it's got these little you know a, a leg appendages and then uh and then uh you know bug eyes and so I'm, I'm i'm feeling a little bit like a shrimp i really need to get to working out but uh yeah
1: yeah well, it looks uh, a little uncomfortable to sit in is it that the tail designed
0: to? for sitting yeah and the tail <laughs> is yes the tail is quite large and yeah this is this is not practical at all uh but uh yeah it, but but then you know feeling like a shrimp doesn't feel good either. So maybe it, it it's fitting in that way. Yeah. Um so what has been taking you away from your writing this week?
1: Well, the main thing that I kind of do when I'm not writing, the main thing I kind of procrastinate with is I spend way too much of my life watching pro wrestling. Um I watch both WWE and AEW, the two competing major companies and uh, yeah, I I have always been a fan, honestly, since like the late 90s, um, but I fell away from it for quite a while. But during uh, during 2020 lockdowns, when we'd gone through, you know, Tiger King and whatever else everyone yeah. else is watching, uh, my husband discovered that we could stream all the old pay-per-views. So oh, wow. going all yeah. the way back? All the way back. Well, oh I mean, gosh. yeah, so WrestleMania
0: so we, yeah. four and, you know, the 80s. And oh, yeah,
1: exactly. So the, the first WrestleMania was in 1985, which is the same year I was born. And um, so we, we, we were like, let's go watch like the original WrestleMania. And it was so much fun that we were like, let's watch the next one. Let's watch the next one. And it took about a year and a half. And we watched all of them <laughs> all the way up to the present, just the WrestleMania. So it's like the you know the Super Bowl yeah. uh, of, of wrestling. It's the the kind of big event at the end of their season. And um, but they're like four to six hours long yeah. each, and they're just a big spectacle. And that's what I like about it. I mean, there's. I, I when I tell people I'm a wrestling fan, yeah, I have to clarify like I don't care about UFC or MMA. Like I'm not interested in the fighting. I'm not interested in the violence. I like the spectacle of it. Yes. I like the gimmicks and the silliness. Like the cheesier it is, the more I like it.
0: And the interviews before and after oh. that are, you know, where all the drama is, you know, who's got beef with whom and who's switching sides. And oh, yeah, that's it. It's totally a soap.
1: It is literally a soap opera. Yeah. It is literally a soap opera. And like there's one story. So like we watched all the old WrestleManias and then now we're just like addicted to the the current day ones. Um, but like there's one storyline that's going on right now in WWE that has been going on for three years. And like, it is a family drama that is, you know, the, the bloodline saga that has been, you know, building slowly in a, this very soap opera style for three years. And it's even got like references back further than that. And, you know, yeah. it's so. <laughs> yeah.
0: The, the diehards are like really into the lore. They're like, I reference, I recognize the reference. I I get it. Um, yeah. I, I have this theory as, as drag shows have become, uh, you know, this, this, really excuse uh in our culture to uh, attack certain people that you know we need to acknowledge that wwe is drag like i think mm-hmm. if people understood what drag is where it's hey let's let's act out gender to show that the gender binary is ridiculous and let's exaggerate all the elements of gender to you know to kind of have fun with this and poke fun at the absurdity of, of the gender binary WWE is totally drag. Like, hey, let's act out male masculinity in this ridiculous way like nobody's like you know what to be a man i must walk around in tights and punch people but it is like this extreme form of uh you know uh, of masculinity as a joke and let's exaggerate you know and i think if if uh, some of the same people who are really upset about uh drag shows recognize that wwe is drag it might make them <laughs> to uh, have you know a second guess about whether we should uh you know prohibit drag shows yeah. wwe is drag show
1: yeah, absolutely. I, I see what you're saying. And I, and sometimes it literally is too, because we have characters like Goldust, who is this like androgynous uh, character. And, you know, and then there was a couple of years ago, um, Santina. So Santino was, uh, was a silly character that like they did a... Um, a a women's it was it was like a queen of wwe or something like that and he infiltrated it in drag and won it and so you know sometimes it is literally drag and it's it's all for it's all for laughs you know but it also is kind of commentary on actual issue Uh, yeah like all all their storylines are reflecting things that are actually happening in in reality and and parodying them and investigating them in the same way that we do like in science fiction and fantasy and right. just this, right. you know let's
0: dial this up let's exaggerate this so we can see the kind of consequences yeah so yeah absolutely um that is fun <laughs> so uh, what about a news story that's been pulling you away from your work this week
1: uh I came across this thing I found really interesting. It was um it was actually I saw it on a Twitter thread first and then I followed it to the the actual story. But the the story was about a, a guy who is swimming all the way from Hawaii to California. Wow. <laughs> and I mean, he's not doing it nonstop because I don't think sure. that's physically possible, but he has a support vessel that like follows him. And I guess he goes on there and sleeps and, you know, whatever rests. Um, but the part of his goal was to sw- swim straight through the Great Pacific Garbage Patch, which is this place in the ocean where all yeah. the, all the um, you know, the currents and everything kind of make the, the plastic that gets dumped in the ocean, like collect right here. And he was swimming straight through the middle of that. Which which is bizarre enough on its own right, um, but then his support vessel was collecting samples of um, of what's what's in the water there. And aside from the plastic, what they found is a whole bunch of these uh, rare small sea creatures, like a little blue sea dragon and this thing that like. Is kind of a, a little natural sailboat. It's like a tiny little thing with a sail and all these really interesting sea creatures that are pretty rare in other parts of the ocean that are just abundant right there. Huh. Yeah. And
0: adapting and-, and learning to live in our garbage.
1: Well, the, yeah. And I think that, I think that the deal is that they're not, they're not there because of the plastic. It's like the same gyre or whatever that that draws the plastic there makes it the perfect ecosystem for them. So it's like the plastic is, you know, it's infiltrating their right. ecosystem, but they are, they are still adapting and living with it. It's not, you know, it hasn't um, made them, you know, go extinct yet. Yeah. So, um, so, but that was a really, I thought that was just really interesting. There's so much life among the, the plastic And, and it's also important if we're going to do the cleanup, you know, the ocean cleanup, like if we just go bulldoze through there, you know, or whatever the ocean equivalent is of bulldozing, um, we could actually be disrupting this, this ecosystem and this life that lives there. So we have to be a little bit more, uh, mindful about the way that we're cleaning up. And it does
0: pose an ethical question. That's interesting. You know, it's like, oh, maybe if we, you know, uh, uh, clean up our mess we have destroyed the way nature is adapting to our mess and right. uh, you know like you know the 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 very nice family of raccoons that lives in your garbage well if we didn't produce so much garbage they might not have that home like and and so yeah that is an interesting uh you know uh, kind of ethical quandary we we created this mess and nature of uh, uh you know adapted to it and now we don't want to wipe out this you know yeah that that's uh that's interesting the the swimmer sounds i mean absolutely amazing what an achievement i don't Will that be the longest swim? Has anybody ever successfully made the Hawaii to California swim before?
1: I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Do some,
0: do some looking into that. I, I love, you know, swimming, but I am, uh, terrified of sharks have been since, uh, saw jaws when I was like six. And so open water just terrifies me. And I've, I've been in a couple of times, you know, or it was, You know, I was on a trip one time and it was literally jump off a boat and you're swimming to this next thing. And my uh, I was with a group of students and they were like, you swim really fast. And I was like, (laughs) no, not normally. Uh, I was just terrified that any minute the it was in the Mediterranean where a shark has not been seen in almost a thousand years. And I was still like, I'm going to be the one. Like I'm <laughs> gonna be the, the, the the one shark here that is is gonna get me. So yeah, um,
1: yeah. I, li- I like to tell people that I I once capsized a kayak in shark infested waters, oh. um, and that's a little bit of an exaggeration. But I was in I was in Hawaii. My grandparents lived in Hawaii and uh, got to go there a few times. And there's this bay that um, it it does have sharks in it. I have never actually seen one, but they, they are there. I don't remember what type of shark, but there are some there and my dad and I were kayaking across the bay and, um and yeah, got caught in some, some waves and capsized and had had trouble getting the, the kayak back turned back over um, had to have someone, you know, right come from shore and he, like, like, My dad describes it as I was just like in the water, so I didn't actually see it. But my dad describes it as like the Superman that like leaps off of the pier and like swims in three strokes to get us and then just pushes the thing over. And, you know, that's it. Um, but, uh, yeah, there, you know, there were, there was a lot of life in that bay and there very well could have been sharks and sure. we're just in there treading, you know, trying to keep our head above water with our kayak, uh, upturned. <laughs> and
0: they're really not dangerous to humans. Yeah. Like I know this rationally. Yeah. I have a better. Unless you were bleeding already. Yeah. If I was bleeding and, you know, in for a prolonged period of time and, you know, certain places, but you know the, the yeah the, the the danger of sharks is infinitesimal in my life and yeah. yet <laughs> this well, but, is totally and yet jaws shark. i mean convinced right? us the
1: other way and that's right. you know that's what goes for was actively
0: hunting human beings like no they they would rather not like we are right. not their primary food source but uh I've, i'm a, to the point where like i'm afraid i remember as a child being afraid in public pools like you know <laughs> like know, totally right. irrational you know like nope this is the one pool that's going to have a jaws and it. it's an olympic sized pool i can't see the other side you know yeah um, lakes freshwater lakes yeah there's going to be a shark in this one just from- <laughs> um well i've been paying a lot of attention to this w- wga strike i'm a big oh, sure. uh, union activist for um, as a teacher mm-hmm. and uh i love seeing people, you know, getting involved in their union, getting active, and then as a writer. So it's been neat to see writers and how they're engaging in letting their employers know their labor has value. Uh, And this is, unfortunately, the only way often for, uh, you know, employers to realize your labor has value is for you to withhold it. And you have to teach them, no, I really will take this away from you, even if it costs me something, because you need to see it. And so, and it's been cool to see the actors showing up in support and novelists on Twitter, you know, voicing their solidarity um but one of the things that's been interesting about it is not you know the the writers for tv are even more invisible than novelists like Mm -hmm. at least we're out there saying here's me here's my book you know they're saying put me in a writer's room nobody's ever going to see who i am and now they need to say i have a presence Mm -hmm. i i exist and so i i am very much standing in solidarity with our 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 siblings in the wga and uh hopeful that they will get a uh Prompt resolution that is satisfactory. But, uh, mm-hmm. oh, me too. So, Absolutely. You know, but and it's good for other industries to see, hey, people are standing up and demanding fair wages. So I, I hope that, you know, that there's always this beneficial effect of union work. You know, oh, people get, you know, I've, I've, I've had friends who will say, you know, well, I don't need a union because I get weekends off and I have an eight hour work day. And I'm like, you have those because other people in unions fought for those. And right. so I hope. In other industries, people will say, oh, writers deserve to be compensated. Chat GPT is not a replacement for, for example, in journalism. Like, you know, they they should see this and, and take heed. So that's been one that I've been paying a lot of attention to.
1: Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely.
0: <laughs> so what about, uh, what's something else when you're not uh, writing that you've been doing for a hobby? You need a brain uh- break.
1: Yeah, I uh, I have started volunteering with this rewilding project that's, um, so I live in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and um, hist- we have the Rio Grande that runs through the middle of the city. And historically, um, all the land right around the river were like farmlands that were originally owned by like five, six different families, and they've been kind of parceled off. But um, even now, Like you're in the middle of the city and then suddenly there's horses and vineyards and, uh, you know, all this farmland and then you cross the river and then you're back in the city. So we still have all this farmland right along the river. Um, And there's one one farm area that uh, was turned over to the city of Albuquerque in the 1970s, and they haven't really done anything with it since then. But the, the goal was to turn it into a nature preserve. And so sure. just in the just in the last couple of years, uh, they've started this project um, between the the city of Albuquerque and uh, like a conservation uh, group and a volunteer group to actually make that happen. And so it's a super casual thing where I just go out there. Uh, I make it out there about a couple of times a month, but it's like every week uh, there's one day that, that people just show up and um, and try to help you know, rehabilitate this land.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. I I always worry about, you know, farmland being converted into, you know, that the city absorbs it and it becomes developed and, you know, recognizing that there is a, we're in Oregon, we're really lucky. There's some real strict legislation around creating belts for agriculture around cities. And and it has the beneficial effect of forcing cities to build up instead of out. Uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, which, which, you know, should be the way humans live. Like we, we can live more vertically. We don't have to, you know, continue to broaden our communities into farmland. So I'm glad the city didn't just say, oh, we got this land right away. We can turn it into parking lots, you know?
1: Right. Yeah. And that was, you know, there were people in the, in the area that wanted to do that. They were like, no, we need another way to cross the river. You should put a road straight through here. Right. And, but it was actually part of the, um, part of the deal, like before the, um, the estate would turn it over to the city that it was like, this has to be a, a nature preserve. And then, like I said, they just kind of sat on it for a while and they were actually, um, uh, so like subletting it out to some, some independent farmers and, um, in, instead of, you know, doing anything with it. And at some point the people in the neighborhood noticed that their bees were starting to die and it, that prompted an investigation, into how this land was being used and it turned out that like you know the city didn't really understand the things they had agreed to and they were renting it to farmers that were using pesticides and herbicides and just kind of continuing to compact the soil and cause this uh cause this to um you know degrade the land and so then they made this big resource management plan to uh to actually follow through on what they did but I mean it took from 1977 to like 2019. For yeah. that to happen and then now if
0: there's less incentive for somebody who's subletting land to care for it in the long term like it's not theirs they don't have to you know if you're subletting land what is your motivation to do proper crop rotation and you know let it lie fallow for a year and not make money from it while you're paying rent on it you know mm-hmm. and so uh, yeah i think uh you know that there's a real value to the the farmer owned land so that you've got an incentive to take good care of the soil itself um
1: yeah yeah absolutely yeah and it's that capitalist mindset of like, let's just get what we can out of this right. and then move on to the next right so so but now, um, so that the volunteers do is uh we basically plant the things that are supposed to grow there and take out the things that aren't. So there's, you know, a lot of the crops, but also a lot of invasive plants and Johnson grass and bindweed and things and uh, tumbleweeds. Tumbleweeds are like an iconic uh, thing in the Southwest. They're actually an invasive plant. Yeah,
0: non-native. It is wild when yeah. you learn, like as I've learned about all the things that I think of as, oh, yeah, that's Oregon. That's the, that's the stuff that grows here how much of it is invasive species. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's it's really, you know, striking that these are things that were brought here and yeah. and take a lot of work to remove. The reason they've been so successful is they've been very, you know, they're, they're very hardy and they're hard yeah. to get rid of. It's a lot of work to actually mm-hmm. return it to its uh, its proper state. But what yeah. a cool project.
1: Yeah, yeah. I was really happy to discover it and that it's it's so easy to get involved with it. You just show up and they they have the tools there and they tell you what to do. And it's just, you know, it's a great way to get away from my computer and to, you know, be out in the out in nature and doing something that I feel like is actually helping. And, you know, I may not see, you know, the results of this for you know 20 years or right. something like that, but it's cool to be part of a project that is that sort of long term and is thinking that far ahead.
0: I I am a a uh um firm believer, like it is, It is has taken me a long time to fully understand the extent to which we, especially as white people have been taught when we want to take on a project, it will get done in our lifetimes. And it's mm. really hard to go, oh no, this is not the way most people have lived through most of history. You work on something and it may not get finished and that's okay. Mm. You know, whether that is a social justice project where you're saying, we need to, you know, uh, address something like redlining. Well, that's not going to get done in our lifetimes. Like, you can't just say we're going to forcibly evict you to to create justice. Like, this is going to, you know, take a long time uh, to address. And then so many of these projects that you're dealing, dealing with related to climate are going to take 50, 60, 70, 80, 100 years, and some yeah. of them are not going to move fast enough, and we still need to do them because, you know, we don't know which ones, uh, you know, but uh, yeah, this might not be done in our lifetimes, and mm-hmm. it's still worth doing. That's, yep. that is really, really cool. Um, are they leaving the actual buildings that were part of the farm to, to fall apart?
1: Um, I think, the, the only thing that's there is like the house that the people lived in a little farmhouse and they're eventually going to remodel that into some kind of like an educational center mm-hmm. um but it's, it's fairly small and there really aren't any barns or anything mm-hmm. like that around um because i guess it, i don't think they had many animals there so i i don't know if the barns have been removed or if they were never there but um
0: well, i yeah. don't know if you've ever heard of this there is a uh Uh, you know, very long standing uh, superstition that if you knock down a barn, that is bad luck for your farm. And that's why you will see these old barns that are, you know, you'll be driving along the freeway and there's these barns that are just falling apart. And there's like a nice house, you know, that's well maintained nearby. But the farmer decided this barn is no longer functional. I'm going to just let it fall apart. And but destroying it is bad luck. And, hmm. uh, and I wonder if there is kind of a, an evolutionary benefit to that, because often they become housing for a lot of different wildlife as they kind of decay. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's uh, uh, if you ever get a chance to read uh, Marin Anderson. In fact, I'm, I'll, I'll, Marin Anderson will be our, our, the book that we advertise on the show. Uh, her novel Sparks is exploring that superstition what if this you know cow sprite which is sounds cow sprite sounds nice but cow sprite is actually a very menacing monster uh is awakened by the knocking down of a barn and uh and it's a, it's a really fun book so uh yeah that's uh it's called sparks and it's kind of a a rom-com and horror paranormal like now you've got this cow sprite that's menacing this uh, farmer and it was a superstition i'd never heard of before but it's, i had
1: never heard of that either but it explains a lot because i've seen so many of those decrepit barns and oh that's fascinating yeah. and i think you're right about the wildlife because the animals will take over and the wood bees and you know everything yeah, yeah. It's,
0: it's it's yeah it's good i mean also invasive one of the things i didn't realize is invasive here in uh in in oregon is coyotes coyotes are non-native oh. and <laughs> so that you know coyotes love an old knockdown barn like that's 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 home but uh yeah, we that's that's an issue where, you know, nature running into, you know, urban areas. And so coyotes eat cats and dogs and are problematic. And and I was like, yeah, but, you know, we're in their home. And then I learned, no, we're, we're not. <laughs> huh. We brought them here, too.
1: Interesting. Interesting. Yeah.
0: Um, so uh, what else has been going on with you as far as uh, what's been keeping you away from your work? There's other stuff that you've been participating in.
1: Oh, another kind of volunteer uh, project, you could say, um, I, I participate in these volunteer experiments with the psychology department at the local university. And I've done this both here in New Mexico and when I lived in Colorado, um, where uh, it's usually grad students or sometimes a faculty member who has a um, an experiment that they're doing and they need participants. So I, I donate my, myself or my brain, uh, and, um, it's usually a non-invasive thing. I don't do like clinical trials for, um, you know, for, for drugs or anything like that. But, uh, but sometimes there, sometimes it can be a little strange. Often it's just me, uh, going into an MRI machine and, uh, and, and, but being in an MRI machine for like an hour. Well, they do, um, you know, images of my brain. Actually, I meant to grab this. I'm do gonna they like them.
0: ask you questions and try and get at what's going on in your brain while you're in there?
1: Uh, sometimes. So yeah, I have a picture of my brain that they sent me.
0: Nice. An excellent <laughs> um, brain.
1: So oftentimes I'm in the control group because oh, apparently, okay. despite appearances to the contrary, my brain is fairly normal.
0: Normal. <laughs> yeah. Um,
1: So also oftentimes I'm in the control group, which means I'm literally just laying in the, in the MRI for an hour and they're like, here's some money because they do pay for these things. So like, here's 40 bucks for being in the MRI and that's it. But sometimes I'm actually part of the experiment. And so, um, it'll be various things we've had, uh, they, they often have a little screen. So like your head is all like, you know, contained in the, uh, in the thing, but they have a little mirror that reflects a screen that you can see.
0: Oh, I was wondering how they would have a screen because the, the and if it was too close, the, the magnets are going to destroy that technology and be dangerous to you. A mirror, what a simple fix! Yeah, it just it's projected just a little, from a
1: distance. It's just a little reflective thing that that reflects yeah, a screen that's, that's somewhere over there. Yeah, and um, and then they give me a little button. That I that I push, and sometimes it has a couple buttons. They were they remind me of like an old video game controller. Yeah, oftentimes, or uh, it's like a plus or minus. Or the
0: uh, it's a variation on the the old optical tests. You know, click left, mm-hmm. click right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So um, so some like one that I remember is called a, a Stroop effect, which is where they put the um, like the word red, but it's in green. Oh yeah. And you're supposed to say the, the color it is not the color, the word says. Yeah. And so like, it'll tell you, you know, it'll they'll have a little thing, you know, click this for, you know, this color, this for this color. And, um, and it's testing, I don't know what it's testing really, it's but testing it's,
0: which part of your brain does language and which part does color.
1: Yeah. Probably the
0: interaction. Yeah. That's yeah. really cool.
1: And also the timing of it, like how fast you mm-hmm. are to, to figure this out. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And then I did one recently that, uh, that was pretty interesting. Um, they, they did the MRI and they also collected some genetic samples. So I was like drooling into a tube for to collect, uh, genetic information. And they were comparing like a control group, uh, to, uh, people that were convicted felons. And so to be clear, I was in the control group. (laughs) Um, but, uh, but they're comparing, uh, empathy responses. Mm. Uh, so in the MRI, what they were showing on the screen was like people in peril sort of, or like things, situations that are like potentially dangerous, like a, like a bare foot and, uh, and, a uh, a rake like right next to it or something, you know, like that, where it's like, you can see, okay, this, you know, danger. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so they're, they're comparing, you know, the responses and empathy, um, between people who are incarcerated for a violent crime and, uh, and people who, who haven't been. And then the genetic part of it is, um, I don't remember the exact genes, but there, there are, there's a collection of, of genes that are correlated with, uh, like a psychopathy and that you know, that, uh, violent criminals often yeah. have this, this set of mutations in their genes. So um, so, yeah, that was that was really interesting. I, I
0: have read and I and I I can't cite the study. And so this, you know, I could be wrong about this, but I've read that the, uh, the the that kind of sociopathy, that inability to to feel empathy and kind of a, a normal baseline way is second highest among convicted felons. And you mm-hmm. know uh, whom it's highest mm-hmm. uh, stockbrokers on Wall Street.
1: Oh, that you know that makes perfect sense to me because honestly.
0: it's advantageous. It, you yeah. it, if you if you're having to you know make these decisions where you're saying we're we're slowing down to say I understand that this is going to have deleterious consequences on the retirement for this you know person who worked their entire life and I'm going to make their whole retirement fund potentially you know be devalued. The the people who stop to think about that aren't as good at the job. And so the people who say, I don't care about anyone, I'm just doing this thing that is going to, you know, maximize returns, uh, you know, to the best of my ability, and I'm willing to take huge risks, Wall Street. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, that makes sense. So it's a bunch of sociopaths. Yeah, Um,
1: yeah, it really does. So yeah. And um, one thing about that experiment, too, that as I was reading through the consent form for that, there's this big, long paragraph about, you know, the the fact that they're connected, co- collecting genetic information. And it's a big, long paragraph about, like, we will do our best to protect your genetic information, but if a breach happens, we will not be held liable for that. And no. I stopped and I was like, okay... So when you get hacked and my genetic information gets stolen and I get cloned and, you know, put into like a super army, then, you know, then you're not liable for that. And they're just like, huh? Yeah. Like, that's what I'm seeing.
0: Right? I, I write sci-fi. That's yeah. I, I, my, that's where my, my brain uh,
1: goes, right? My mom yeah, got really Ancestry.com
0: read- and I, you know, whatever mom, and I did the swab and I sent it off. And then I was like, I just gave my genetic information to a corporation. Like, why? Why? I don't need this information that badly that it is worth it. Yeah. Privacy is out the window.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. And I mean, there definitely are negative things that could come mm-hmm. of this. I mean, the the consent form is very clear that they're like they're not allowed to sell it to insurance right. companies or something, which right. is good because that's that was a question mm-hmm. that came up with those Ancestry kits. Right. Yeah. Um, but there's there's still some iffy things that could come of this type of research. Sure.
0: Well, once the information is available, it can be leaked, it can be stolen, it can be, you know, it's out there. So yeah, that's, Mm -hmm. although if somebody were going to go to the trouble, there are other ways that they could steal our, you know, some skin cells anyway. So uh, yeah, that's uh,
1: yes. probably not too, too hard to come by. Yeah.
0: Yeah. We're we're, we're leaving our information everywhere we go. Um, Okay. Well, let's take a little ad break. And then when we come back, I'm going to ask you about what you've been daydreaming about want to read a paranormal romance unlike any other, love horses, monsters, and wry laugh-out-loud humor, then Sparks is the book for you. Rosie wants to tear down the old cow shed on a ranch, but the old-timers tell her not to because it's unlucky. Boy howdy is it ever. Rosie's new world is magic. Her boyfriend talks to animals. The demon under the barn is deadly and requires a cow for company. Rosie has to save her ranch, her love, and even her dog as she negotiates an unbelievable magical world. Romance, monsters, and magic for grown-ups? Yes, please. Check out Sparks by Marin Bradley-Anderson. Authors, poets, playwrights, As some of you know, we participate in an annual fundraiser for the Alzheimer's Association called The Longest Day. On that day, people around the country and around the world do all kinds of things like walkathons and knitting and mountain climbing, and they ask their friends and families to make donations for their efforts to the Alzheimer's Association to support, care for families, and research to find a cure for Alzheimer's. I participated in a few walks and then said to myself, "Self." You are mediocre at walking and do not have a bunch of awesome friends known for their walking ability, but you can write and know a whole lot of other writers. So back in 2018, Not-A-Pipe Publishing put together our first Writing Against the Darkness team, and we've been going strong ever since. Here's the ask. You can join our team with a few clicks. If you want to, you can buy a t-shirt for the fundraiser, but that's not required. Then you post to your social media a few times, asking your friends and family to pledge to support you. On Wednesday, June 21st, we all hop on a Zoom call together early in the morning to say hello, wish one another luck, and then we write from dawn until dusk, 5.24 a.m. to 9.04 p.m. here at my latitude, It's a long day, but don't worry, you can take all the breaks you want. In fact, if a Wednesday doesn't fit into your work schedule, you can do your longest day on another day before or after. The Alzheimer's Association won't turn your donations away. At the end of the day, we share out our word count and total them up and see how many words the team has written in a day, and how badly John Dover, author of Once Upon a Fang in the West, has beaten us by every year. It's fun, productive, and raises money for a good cause. If you'd like to participate, there is a link in the show notes. We would love to have you on our team. So, come join our Writing Against the Darkness team and write with us for a good cause. Thank you. Welcome back, everyone. So I'm here with uh, Serena Ulibarri. And we, I. what is something you've been daydreaming about recently?
1: I mean, I spend a lot of time daydreaming about the future. And that's, you know, that's related to writing because I write science fiction. I'm always right. kind of projecting forward. But, um, but yeah, I, I do think about the future a lot. And I... Uh, uh, so, somebody I knew on social media is a is a teacher, and um, I, they posted a, an assignment that they were doing where they were having their students. Predict what 2073 was going to look like. And at first I was like, oh, that's an arbitrary number. Why did they pick that? And then I was like, oh, because that's 50 years in the future. Oh, right. That's only 50 years. And then, like, is that like kind of broke my brain? And then to realize, wait, 1973 was 50 years ago. Cause I'm still, I'm caught in that millennial time loop where I still think that the 70s was 30 years ago. Right. 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 <laughs>
0: Yes, so. absolutely. Yeah. I uh, ran into this myself as a writer. Uh, I wanted to set a book in the future. And <laughs> so I set it a hundred years. It was just kind of an arbitrary, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just set it a hundred years from now. And boy, that was a just a wild miscalculation. Like the events of the book are, you know, many of them have already happened or like we're, we're moving so much faster. And so people are reading it like a hundred years from now. That's one of the feedback I get the most is like, this feels a lot more prescient than 100 years from now and i'm like yeah i didn't i didn't know how fast things would go we're not predicting the future we're just trying to kind of you know envision what a future might look like but you know yeah. the, the, the world moves much I, I, for me the one of the most shocking things was to think about the fact that the iphone came out in 2007 mm-hmm. so all the effects of our lives of having a computer in our pocket are only since 2007 That is wild to me. Like, I can't imagine going back to living pre-cell phone. Like that Mm -hmm. has become that, you know, much a part of our, and, and yet that's not that long.
1: It's really not. And really, and the Android only came out in 2010. And so it was, you know, the, the iPhone was, you know, yeah, it wasn't, it was, it wasn't so widespread until Android came out. Yeah. So yeah, it's really, really not that long ago.
0: Yeah. And yet our lives are completely different. and Which mm-hmm. means that, you know, for authors like us, where we're trying to predict, like, who knows what thing is going to appear that is going to make a radical change that we could not possibly have predicted. And yet we're always trying to absorb this pieces of information and say oh but that would be interesting let's explore that you know could yeah. it be could it be this way or that way uh but you know yeah uh, a- aliens could introduce themselves tomorrow and I know. All the predictions could be thrown out the window and that's wonderful like i, I enjoy <laughs> that uh, but uh it is yeah we are not you know futurists we are science fiction authors uh but uh yeah yeah that is fun to think about 50 years is yeah is
1: really not that long yeah but yeah, i mean i think what what i try to do as, as a science fiction writer is like take some technology that already exists in a nascent form and then just try to project that forward into what it could become or and and think through the implications of what what this could mean but you know it's it's not really predictive i mean science fiction can be predictive it has been a few times but it's usually not it's usually you know thinking forward to say something about now Yes. Right. We're commenting yes. on our current society more than we're really trying to predict what's what's happened, what's yeah, going
0: on. The, the times it's been predictive have been more coincidental. Like in retrospect, yeah. we look back and go, wow, this person predicted this thing. No, they, you know, uh, um, Ender's Game is predicts essentially the World Wide Web. Oh, okay. And I don't, that's not the point of that book. Like, that's not really what he was exploring, but he's like, oh, yeah, there are message boards and and children anonymously could uh, then participate in and, you know, have this huge impact on a worldwide conversation. And, you know, that's just part of the plot. And you're like, oh, that's interesting. And now that's real, you know, like that's, mm-hmm. uh and, and there was no way in 19, whatever, 70 something that that technology was known enough that that would even be possible it was purely fantastical in fact in 18 i believe it's 1890 something in the 1890s um uh uh, the machine stops uh by um i'm gonna blank on the author's name um wrote uh howard's end he's not known as a science fiction author Um, but uh he writes this this uh novella where characters are um, kind of trapped in rooms underground and nobody can go up to the surface and they communicate with each other through these plates on their tables and they spend all of their time communicating with people that they will never see and they're trapped in their rooms and mm-hmm. it was written in the 1890s and you're reading this going oh my gosh this this feels a little too close to home <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, was that
1: em e. forester yes
0: em forester yeah yes, in the it, yeah uh it's and it's just a wonderful sh- you know short novella long short story uh but uh yeah totally worth your time but it it is so prescient and there's no way he was i mean that's not what like you said that's not the point he was talking about getting back to nature and mm-hmm. you know and yet the 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 extreme as a cautionary tale was or else we could end up trapped in a room with just a screen and that's where we're at. And it's like, Oh no, we, we, we've done that to a large degree. Couldn't have known. um, Well, and so
1: many times the warning stories, like the, you know, the dystopias it's like, that wasn't supposed to be a guidebook.
0: Yeah. Don't create this world. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um,
1: Yeah, I I like the, uh, the kind of um, anachronisms that show up in, in old science fiction too. Like, it's like, you, they tried and, and or like they predicted some really interesting thing but you know they're talking about the you know 2050s or whatever and it's this really fascinating technology but everyone still uses pay phones yes or something like that so so again with that like thing that you can't even you don't even know to you know to change or just the assumption that everyone would still wear hats right you know like you know in some of like the you know wow. thing or you know some of the um those uh predictions from 1900 about what the year 2000 would look like. There's some (laughs) fantastical wild technology and like the women are still all in long skirts and the men all still have formal hats. And it's just very funny to me.
0: And there have been wonderful, both scholars and science fiction authors just in the last few years who've been kind of, Forcing us to see some of those things that we didn't even that we had blind spots to you know oh it's the distant future and yet the power structure is still yeah. very European and the you know the, the people in power are all white men and you know Kirk yeah. and you know like and it's like oh yeah that 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 is problematic I, I've been really enjoying Nettie Okerafor's work oh sure where, you know she's going what if there just were no white people <laughs> and it's like <laughs> oh yeah why did I presume that the future will still be white dominated so I, I it's it is great to have folks who are kind of forcing us to explore it's not that th- these were things that were you know created out of animus they were just created out of ignorance like oh yeah of course everyone would still be exactly like me you know, mm-hmm. like no maybe not so yeah that is well very and, cool.
1: and it goes back to that whole like you know science fiction is reflecting on the, the present of the time that the writer was writing and those assumptions that they can't get out of
0: yeah, because yeah. we can't see them uh, or okay. or choose not to see them. But I think sure. often it's not conscious, you know. Right. Um. So on a far more positive note, what is in the near future? What's coming up for you?
1: Well, my first book is coming out. So congratulations. congratulations. Thank you. Beautiful cover. Up. Yeah, isn't it? Um, I, I did not get to see the cover before it was done. And I was so nervous when I got that email. i like, here's the cover. And I was like, oh God, okay. Ooh. Okay, what does it look like? Oh, it's beautiful. All right.
0: <laughs> That's good. Yeah, I always, uh, I, I you know, co-owner of a small press and really mm-hmm. make a point to work with the authors on their covers because I've heard horror stories of authors who are saying, I don't feel comfortable being in pictures with my own book because I hate the cover so much. And yeah. I'm like, oh no, you've got you to, I want my authors to love their cover. But yeah, I saw that one and I was like, so we haven't mentioned the title for folks on the podcast it's called Another Life. And it comes out on the 25th from Stellarform Press. And go check out this cover art uh, when you get a chance. It's really cool. And we'll link to it in the show notes, of course. So, I, you know, one of the things that uh, is always challenging for writers is kind of the elevator pitch. Uh, you know, we can write the book, but can we describe it briefly? So I, I acknowledge this is unfair. And yet, <laughs> how would you sum up your book for folks out there?
1: So we were talking about the ancestry DNA tests earlier. What if there was one of those, but instead of it telling you your genetic ancestry, it told you who you were in a previous lifetime, your reincarnation results. And so my main character is the founder and unofficial leader of a a peaceful eco village. And she does one of these tests and finds out she was a really bad person in her previous life. And so there's the internal conflict of like, how do you deal with that information about yourself? And also how does she reveal that to her community who you know, res- loves and respects her and followed her out into this, you know, uh, intentional community in the, in the desert. And, uh, and so, yeah, that's, that's the premise. Uh,
0: that's really, really interesting. Yes. That sounds fascinating. Um, so yes, folks should check that out. Is that available for pre-order now?
1: Mm-hmm. It is. Okay,
0: it is. Good. Yes. Yeah. So get your copy now, folks um so next up we have every week we have a weekly poll we post these to to the, the not a pie publishing twitter page and uh our last week's poll came to us from the uh from our guest karen eisenbray who asked about rhubarb pie with strawberries or without and it is a very close call surprisingly close to me i'm a person with very strong feelings about this and i'm guessing other folks are as well but uh so far without strawberries is winning uh fifty seven percent to forty two percent uh which I think is madness uh rhubarb is n- needs something else to to balance out the flavor but uh people like their their pure rhubarb. where would you fall on that one Strawberries? i am or...
1: pro, i'm pro strawberry as well pro strawberries okay yeah. So you,
0: yeah, if you took the poll now we would you know we would would shift closer to sanity um <laughs> but uh yeah, but without strawberries is is winning uh so what should be our poll for this next week
1: um how about ocean versus or beach versus mountain
0: uh yes another one that i have strong feelings about but won't weigh in on until uh you know i I, I hop online but uh yes beach versus i i think probably people watching on youtube can look at my hairdo uh if i pull back my my shrimp costume here (laughs) and guess which of those i prefer whether it's something with lots of shady trees or uh a, a beach where I would be frying, but I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna tip my hand. Well, you know, I'll I'll weigh in like everybody else. Yeah. Sure. Um. So uh, what's been what's on your uh, to read pile right now?
1: Um, one book that I bought recently that's uh, it's a small press book. Um, that's been getting a decent amount of hype. It's called The Merry Dredgers by Jeremy C. Ship, and uh, I left it upstairs, or else I'd hold it up here. <laughs> um, but uh. The concept of this book is, uh, if I if I understand it correctly, is that um, there's a cult that lives in a renovated amusement park called Goblin Tropolis. And there's a woman whose sister was involved in this cult and like, her sister's in a coma. And so this woman like infiltrates the cult to try to Find out what happened to her sister, but they live in this like weird amusement park. So, this sounds like a really fascinating uh, premise, and I'm I'm looking forward to reading it.
0: Yeah, high concept and really trippy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll have to check that one out. I am excited about. Um, I just pre-ordered a copy of uh, Jesse Kwok, who's been a guest on the show before. Jesse Kwok's got a new one coming out called After the Tide, mm-hmm. and uh, listen to this twist in the in the back cover copy because I I, I love the way this is written. Uh, it's the event of the generation, the century, the lowest of low tides laying bare the original streets of Terry-by-the-Sea for the first time in living memory. Sea creatures splash for cover as the city's human residents descend for an epic once-in-a-lifetime party, Through a, uh, though a dark electricity sizzles beneath the revelry. A mysterious game has been announced this night only, and Adria is one of the many hopefuls drawn to the promise of fortune. She has her father's ashes in her pack hard-fought freedom in her future, and the growing suspicion in her mind that something alarmingly alien lurks in the city beneath the sea, she's right, and I'm nearly ready to introduce myself, assuming I can survive the night. Oh, no, so, Yeah, I liked the uh, point-of-view shift there at the end. Yeah. I was like, oh, that is cool. So I will be checking that one out. Yeah. Um. So where can our, uh, in addition to getting their copy, which um, we'll have links, so they can pre-order the copy of Another Life, but uh, where can folks find you online?
1: If you spell my name correctly, I'm very easy to find. It's Serena with an A, S-A-R-E-N-A. Um, so I have a, I have a website, Serena uh, on Instagram. I'm Serena Ulibari author there because there is someone else with my name that is spelled the same way, and she gets very tired of being tagged in stuff that's meant <laughs> for me. Um, so I just added author onto the end of my Instagram uh title um and then i have been using mastodon a lot as a twitter alternative um so i'm on the wandering shop server uh on on mastodon but that's been a
0: have you finally? i i I jumped on mastodon you know just going i want to preserve the space because who knows when twitter Mm -hmm. will disappear Uh, but have you been getting a lot of good interaction on mastodon has that been a good place Yeah,
1: actually. And I think it's, it's been a better place for like conversation Mm -hmm. than a lot of uh, social media, because it's still social networking, right? There's still people that are kind of talking to each other versus like, social media where it's all like content creation right. and it's like, you know, just kind of barking into the void. There's less of that on Mastodon. It's more like interaction. So yeah, I think especially within, um, there, there's a decent number of people that are interested in solar punk, which is the style of optimistic climate fiction that I do. There's a lot of people interested in that, that, that are on, uh, on Mastodon. So yeah, I, I, I enjoy it. Um, you got to make those connections first. If you just show up and you're like, well, this is boring. And get on an interesting server, find some people, start to make those connections. And then it it becomes something really cool.
0: I will have to spend more time, you know, invest yep. more time there. But uh <laughs> I just uh had my first solar punk short story published uh, this last oh. uh yeah solar punk is something where I've struggled I don't know if you've run into this struggle I don't want to get too into process I know it's a show about procrastination but one of the things that was really hard for me is when you're envisioning an optimistic future and an optimistic setting, it doesn't produce conflict, right? <laughs> it's not like the, oh, they are living in a place where the 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 natural environment wants to kill them. How do they survive? Or they are <laughs> fighting about how to, you know, it's it's hopeful. And so I really struggle. So the the all call went out, and this was really cool. It's a local cr- climate group that challenged local authors to envision to set a, a solar punk story in our community. So what, you know, what will it be like when we are living in a positive, balanced, sustainable way here, uh, mm-hmm. which is really uh, a beautiful idea. And, uh, you know, uh, folks submitted and I they picked up my story. So that was really cool. But I ended up writing a story where the conflict was generational. You know, one person mm-hmm. is saying this is how we used to live and you don't understand that now it, you know, we, we fought really hard to get to this place of, of kind of uh you know, a sustainability. And then the younger person going, what this, that makes no sense that you would have lived that way. Like, you're right. <laughs> it was a really bad idea, you know? And so that ends up being the tension, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah, that was, it was challenging. Have you run into that where you, when you're working with solar punk, where you're going, how do I stay optimistic and also keep the stakes high enough
1: yeah, definitely, definitely. And I think a lot of solar punk stories are kind of low stakes, um, but uh, the, it's a genre that does not lend itself well to that traditional character, that, that traditional conflict style of like, character wants something, things, you know, there are obstacles in their way they must overcome and then achieve it. Solar punk doesn't really lend itself to that style of conflict yeah. or the like, you know, the antagonist of like, you know, someone is, yeah.
0: you know, <laughs> I will destroy yeah. the world. Like why we're living in, we've we've managed to live in a sustainable way.
1: Right. But I think one thing that I've I figured out is that even when people have the same goals, the strategies that they use to achieve those can be very different and often in conflict. So um, there's a, a, an older book by Kim Stanley Robinson called Pacific edge And it's kind of one of the first solar punk uh, books. And the the conflict in that is around development of a, of like kind of the last pristine hill in this town. Like, you know, there's a group that wants to develop on it and there's a group that wants to keep it uh, as, as just nature. But the, even the people that are trying to develop it are doing it in kind of an eco-friendly way but it's still development right, right. and so you know the the goals of being in balance with nature they both have the same goal but they're they're approaching it in very different ways
0: yeah and but i, I think wonder that's... if that would lend itself better to longer form that that you know novels end up because you can develop characters who are rich enough that we can say i empathize with where this person is coming from they are complex enough i get it and I can empathize with this other character, and they're complex enough. And, and then, you know, I, I think in in I don't know, I just have not read enough short uh, uh, solar punk short fic. Uh, but well, think it it's, it's a,
1: mostly short stories. It's yeah. it's it's been a genre that's mostly short fiction because it's kind of thought experiments, and yeah. and because if you do have a, a society that's in balance, I think it's it does become harder to have that drama or that that conflict that draw, pulls people through in a longer form whereas if it's just a few pages it's you know there there still needs to be drama but it's not necessarily going to be traditional you know conflict and so sometimes that does lend itself better to a
0: a yeah and i now that i think about it most of the stuff that i think of as adjacent is cli-fi where it's really like no it's post-apocalyptic like it's really Mm -hmm. been awful and uh and you know not solar punk where it's really been optimistic and is not crisis you know and so yeah i'll have to check more of that out but it is i, I love that it is a a, a a world that is developing you know a genre that is really uh, developing to help people go through the process of envisioning you mm-hmm. know that this is possible and uh, and and not just possible but uh, laudable and something we should be working towards
1: yeah, so. yeah. And my my novella, Another Life, is solar punk as well because yeah. the the yeah. setting is very solar punk, and there's there's tons of conflict in there. But again, it's not quite the same. It's it's internal conflict, and it's like, uh, you know, conflict of ideologies essentially. Yeah,
0: yeah. which you know, I I think that's smart, and I think, but I think novel length, you know, to make us go, oh, I care yeah. so deeply about this character I've gotten to spend time with. But then those ideological conflicts, you know. Sure. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to checking that out. Um. Okay, so before we get to our send off, there are some people I have to thank. Uh, thanks to the artist Max Oakland, who reached out and provided one of his songs for our intro. I prefer the dusk. Let Max know you like it by following him on Twitter at max oakland with three Ds. Uh, thanks to Halizna CCO for their song Kids for the ad break. If you're in a band and would like your song used on the show, I'd love to highlight a listener's work like Max's song. So email that to me. Thanks to Doug, the producer, as always, for making the show sound good and taking the blame when it doesn't. I don't know. Doug, what you're going to do with my dog's weird noises that she was making. Hopefully you can magically deal with those, but I appreciate it. Uh, I cannot forget to mention Writers Not Writing is a production of Not A Pipe Publishing. So please go to notapipepublishing.com and check out the amazing books written by writers who didn't procrastinate too much. If you like this show, rate and review it wherever you found it. Please check out Serena's newest novel, Another Life. Tell a friend about it too. You can pre-order that now. And once that comes out, Please put a uh, you know short review. Just put a click on that fifth star. It makes a huge difference to authors. So if you've got three minutes, make Serena's day. Um, and now I'm too old to tell you to smash that like button, but if you could gently tap on the like button for this show, I would greatly appreciate that as well. So Serena and I want you to remember three pieces of advice for this week. Three uh, three things this week. First, uh, Serena, what's your piece of advice for everybody?
1: Um. Let's see. I think my, my piece of advice is that sometimes writing happens on the page and on the computer, and sometimes you need to step away from it. So even when we're procrastinating, sometimes that's not really what's happening. Sometimes we need that time away from a story to you know live our lives and, and the, let the subconscious think it through.
0: Agreed. I say uh, in life as in writing, it's the spaces between the words that make it all meaningful. So don't ignore the spaces. And third, no matter how much you procrastinate, we're still proud (laughs) of you.